All right. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in to our online weekend experience here at the Medina East Campus. And uh, if you are just joining us, so if you're a guest uh, and it's your first kind of connecting point to uh, our church and to our campus, just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're able to connect with us. You are uh, actually connecting with us, I should let you know, at actually the end of a sermon series that we've been in for the past several weeks that we have been calling Review. And so I just want to let you know that if you want to catch up on the previous talks in this series, I would love for you to do that. You can do that on our website, our app, our podcast, our YouTube channel, pretty much anywhere on the internet, and you can you can find that. But that might be uh, helpful uh, to hear the whole conversation, to kind of hear the whole series. Uh, but today, as we're, we're kind of looking to finish this series, basically what we've been doing is we have been uh, working our way through a passage of the Bible where we actually see Jesus Christ himself um, writing and giving his review of these seven ancient churches. It's actually uh, sometimes called the seven letters to the seven churches. And, uh, and really what we've been doing in this series is we've been kind of um, letter by letter and week by week, one by one, looking at and, and kind of reading these these different letters that Jesus wrote to the churches. And really the reason that we've been, we've been doing this is uh, really for a kind of a simple but yet very specific goal. And that's really this, that, that what we are hoping to discover is we're hoping to find out what are Jesus's desires, uh, what are his preferences, what are his opinions, and what is his vision for his church? Like what does he want his church to become? And, uh, and what does he want it to be known for? And so that really is kind of our simple and our specific goal that we're looking uh, to get after together. And really, we, we said that, you know, that for those of us who follow Jesus, who, who would say that we're Christians and who follow Christ, so it's actually a really, really important question, right? What is, what is Jesus' desire? What is his vision for our lives? And what is his vision for kind of our church together? And so that's what we're trying to go after together is what is that vision? And then how can we uh, kind of pursue that um, sort of in, a, in some more specific ways. And so uh, today uh, we are going to be coming to the very last letter to the very last church. And the passage I want to invite you uh, to open up with me is to Revelation chapter 3. So if you got a Bible or if you got a Bible app, if you want to open that up to Revelation chapter 3, that's where we're going to go. So go ahead and get to the end of your Bible, the last book of your Bible. And Revelation chapter 3 is uh, where we're going to find this final letter uh, to this final church. Now, as you're finding this passage, I thought that maybe I would uh, just kind of start with a quick story that um, actually kind of reminded me when I was reading this passage, it actually reminded me what Jesus says to this church. Okay, so a long time ago, uh, I don't even know how long, several years ago, uh, a friend of mine and I were about to go on a very long road trip together. And uh, so a several hour kind of road trip. And so before we left, uh, we, we stopped first at a gas station. So we went to the gas station to fuel up and of course to grab some road snacks because we were gonna be on the road for a while. And so both of us, we went in the gas station and we got these uh, large coffees, right? Because we knew it was gonna be all day on the road and we knew we needed to get caffeinated. So we did that and then we grabbed some snacks. And I, I don't know uh, why this is the case, but for whatever reason, whenever I go on a long road trip, the thing I always wanna bring is uh, sunflower seeds. I don't know why it's like the only time I ever eat sunflower seeds, but when I'm on a long road trip, I like to eat them. So anyway, I got that and we got in the car and we drove for a while. And, um, and I remember at, at one point, you know, after we were driving, um, I uh, was drinking my coffee and I realized it wasn't all that good. You know, it was gas station coffee and it was kind of burnt. And so I stopped drinking my coffee, kind of gave up on it and I moved on to my sunflower seeds. So I ate my sunflower seeds. And of course, if you're driving and you're eating sunflower seeds, the big issue is where you spit the seeds or where you spit the shells. And so I used my coffee cup. And so I was spitting my seeds into 
this coffee cup. Well, anyway, we drove for a long time, several, several hours. And I remember at one point we stopped to get gas again. And my friend went in and to the gas station and got another cup of coffee, fresh hot cup of coffee. And then he got back in the car and we switched seats because he was going to drive now and I was going to sit in the passenger seat. So we were driving, we were talking, everything was going good. And we must have been in a good conversation because he wasn't really thinking about it. And he reached down to get his, his hot cup of coffee. And you see where this is going, right? And the moment he reached down to grab his coffee, he accidentally grabbed my old, nasty, uh, you know, <laughs> the sunflower seed filled lukewarm coffee and he took a big swig of it and I remember when he did this immediately what happened was it activated his gag reflex and he ended up spitting sunflower seeds and in coffee all over the dashboard of the car and uh, and I just remember it was, uh, it was really gross it was really gross uh, but it was also really funny we laughed pretty hard about that so I get it it's kind of a gross story uh, but oddly enough strangely enough that story is extremely relevant to what Jesus is actually about to say to this church, this church that's actually called Laodicea. So what I want to do is actually want to read the entire letter to this church, and then we're going to come back around and uh, we'll make some observations about, about what it means for us. Okay, so let's take a look. This is what Jesus says to this church. He says, starting in verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy, me, buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to to the churches. So man, it's a powerful letter, and I'm pretty sure when you see this, you can tell there's a ton, there's a ton for us to talk about in this passage. But I would just say for, for our sake here today, what I would like to do is I'd like to just maybe talk about five big things that I want us to focus on um, throughout the rest of this conversation. And I believe that these five things that I want to kind of focus on will help us not only understand what Jesus is saying to this church, but I also think it will help us understand what Jesus is saying to all of us as well, and maybe even to our church. And so, so let me tell you what those five big things are. So here's a little, like if you're a type A personality kind of person, let me just give you a roadmap for, for what we're going to be talking about. So these, these are the five things that I want to focus on. So I want to talk about Laodicea, the city. I want to talk about Jesus, the amen. I want to talk for a little while about nasty water. And then I want to talk about hubris soliloquies, because, you know, why not? And then I want to talk about Jesus at the door. All right, so these are the five things. So this is the sermon, the sermon in five quick little statements. So, so there, there you have it, all right? So let's just start at the top. Let's talk first about Laodicea, the city. All right. Um, now, if you look at, uh, of course, the beginning here in verse 14, you'll see that this is addressed to a, a, a church in a place called Laodicea. Now, as it is with all of these churches, if you've been with us in this series, I think you maybe have seen that it's, it's very important to get some historical context and some, and some cultural background 
into the place in which it was written uh, because it actually makes Jesus's words make a lot more sense. And so let me tell you what we know about this place, about Laodicea. So if you look at a map, um, this is a very simple map of um, ancient uh, kind of what's modern day Turkey, but it's kind of an ancient map. Uh, Very, very simple. These are the seven churches that we've been looking at in this series. You'll see that Laodicea is both the the southernmost and the easternmost of these seven different different churches in these seven different cities. And actually, here's something we know about this place. It actually was located in a very strategic location. It sat on the crossroads of a lot of travel. And so because of that, it actually became a major booming city. Uh, In fact, you can actually still visit this place if you want to. And if you go to ancient Laodicea today, if you were to go there today, you would see that there's just an incredible, breathtaking amount of ancient ruins that are there. Uh, There are an amazing amount of archaeological digs that are happening in this area still to this very day. Uh, You will just really see some breathtaking uh, kind of uh, different different sort of uh, ruins that are there too, things like this, which is absolutely beautiful. And, uh, and, and let me just say that this city, it was big, it was, um, it, was, uh, it was a crossroads, and it actually was very famous for a few things. And I'll just name a couple of them. So, so here's a couple things that we know about Laodicea. First off, it was known as a major banking center. And so Laodicea was known for its many banks and for its investment center. Um, they had a lot of different banks, and by the way, all of their banks would have been solvent, and so this would have been a very wealthy, very affluent area uh, who would have been known for, uh, for basically their influence in kind of the financial world. In addition to that, they also were known for uh, kind of as a major fashion center. Uh, Laodicea was actually on the cutting edge of fashion. And one of the reasons for that was because uh, there was this black kind of glossy wool that they sold that only came from sheep that were bred nearby. And it was in high demand and it was very expensive and it was very fashionable. And so they were on kind of the cutting edge of fashion as well. They were also known as a major medical center and, uh, and specifically uh, for ophthalmology. And so uh, they, this was the Laodiceans were actually renowned for uh, this advanced eye treatment that they had in which they had this eye salve that you would put on your eyes and it just was a medical breakthrough during the time. And that gained them a lot of notoriety and uh, also gave them a lot of affluence because of that. And this last thing, they were also known for just their major wealth and for their self-sufficiency. So because of these things and other things, they were just unbelievably wealthy, very, very, very rich people here in Laodicea. And not only were they rich, they also were known, they were known for their self-sufficiency and for their self-sufficient spirit. There's actually a really famous story that comes out of this place. Um, Back in 60 AD, there was this massive earthquake that took place, and it basically decimated Laodicea. And as a result of that, the Roman government reached out, and the emperor said and offered to rebuild the entire city. So the emperor said, your city's been decimated. We'll come in, and on our dime, we will rebuild the entire city. And this city famously declined. And they said, no, we we can take care of it ourselves. And they were very, very, very wealthy and very, very, very self-sufficient. And so they rebuilt the entire city uh, basically from their own wealth. Now, I want you to keep all that in mind. Okay, so with that context in mind, Jesus is going to go on from here and he is going to make some pretty amazing statements about himself. And so um, so I want to look at the second thing. So Laodicea, the city. Secondly, Jesus, the amen. All right, so... As it has been with every letter to every church that we've looked at so far in the series, Jesus begins every letter with an introduction and also a proclamation about himself. And I want you to notice what he says here in verse 14. He says, these are the words of the amen, 
the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So you can see Jesus actually says a few things about himself, right? But I want you to notice that he calls himself something really fascinating here. He says about himself that he is the amen. That's what he actually says about himself, that he's the amen. Now, um, I think the question is, like, what does that mean when he says that he's the amen? Yeah, it's an interesting word. I think for us, when we think of the word amen, you know, oftentimes we say that word at the end of a pray of a prayer for those of us who pray. Uh, some of us will say that word if we hear like a good point in a sermon or if someone says something that we agree with, we'll say amen. Um, and uh, but, but I think the question is like, what does it mean when someone calls themselves the amen? What does it tell us about Jesus when he identifies himself uh, this way? Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting a few weeks ago, if, you, if you're part of the Medina East Campus, uh, Pastor Tommy, you might remember, he said something I thought was interesting. Pastor Tommy brought up this idea of something he called $10 church words. And basically what he meant was, as he said, there's these words that we oftentimes use in the church. And he said, and they, they sound kind of lofty, they sound kind of churchy. And he said, and because of that, because we're familiar with these words, he says that sometimes we can lose sight of their meaning. And over time, we don't really know what they mean, but they're kind of churchy words. And I think that amen maybe could be an example of what he was talking about a little bit. You see, the word amen, what it literally means in the Bible, is it actually means truly, it means surely, it means let it be so. That's what the word amen means. And so the term amen is oftentimes used in scripture to affirm the truthfulness of a statement. It's an affirmation. It's kind of like, think about it like this way. It's like a verbal guarantee that what's been said is true. All right. That's what it means to say amen. So when we say amen, what we're actually saying is we're saying, yes, let that be done. That's what we're saying. We're saying, do it. What we're saying is let what has just been said be made certain. That's basically what we're saying right there. So when Jesus calls himself the amen, what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. He is saying that all that God has ever promised is found true and is made certain in him. That's what it means. It, it, he's saying something really big about himself. He is saying that the fulfillment of all that God has promised is fulfilled in him. I'll actually show you 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 set, says it almost exactly that same way. It says, for no matter how many promises that God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us through the glory of God. The amen, the let it be done, is spoken to us by the glory of God. So, so here's what the Bible's saying. Jesus is God's amen. The one who fulfills and confirms all of the divine promises. And so, for example, the promise that God made to Abraham several thousand years ago, where he said to Abraham, through you, I am going to bless all of the nations. Where does that promise find its fulfillment? Where does it find its amen? It finds its amen in Jesus. Jesus is the yes to that promise. He's the fulfillment of that promise. Um, or how about this one? God made a promise to King David that one day he would establish a kingdom, God's kingdom, an eternal kingdom, where God would finally and totally reign and rule forever and ever. Now, where is that promise fulfilled? Where does it find its amen? It finds its amen in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the yes to that promise. What about the promise of forgiveness of sins? that God said that he would make a way to, to, to forgive our sins and to bring us into a right relationship with him. Where is that promise? Where is that promise affirmed? Where is the yes? Where is the amen? It's found in Jesus, right? The promise of a renewed heart. 
where God said, I promise that I will, I will replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh and I will give you my Holy Spirit. Where does that find its fulfillment? And it's, it's all in the person of Jesus. And, and so, so what I'm saying is, is, is that when Jesus says this about himself, he's saying, I am the amen. I am the fulfillment of all God's promises. But I also want you to notice, not only does he call himself the amen, he also says that he is the ruler of God's creation. He's the faithful and true witness and he's the ruler of God's creation. Man, and I just, I want you to think about this, man. This is a really high claim that Jesus is making here about himself, all right? It's, um, what Jesus says right here about himself reminds me a lot of something that was written to another city, a place called Colossae, which was actually 10 miles away from Laodicea. And this is what it says. This is in the Bible. It's in the book of Colossians chapter one. And let me just read this passage to you. This is all about Jesus. And I want you to, I mean, as best as you can, I really want you to take this in. I want you to think about what this is saying about Jesus. And here's what it says. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. And he is the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been, look at this, created through him. And all things have been created for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and he's the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." I'm just telling you, here in Colossians chapter 1, we have such a staggering and such a stunning description and depiction of who Jesus Christ truly is. So I tell you, this description, this description immediately calls into question any small, any puny, any little view of Jesus. Right? The, the idea that Jesus is simply a religious teacher among other religious teachers that the idea that Jesus is just another religious guru among several religious gurus, the idea that Jesus was just another prophet, right? Like other prophets were. What, what, I want, what I want you to see is that what Jesus Christ says about himself and what the Bible teaches does not permit us to view him this way. And I think what we see here is that, man, this is giving us this huge picture of who Jesus Christ really is. Now, by the way, I want you to know that this passage that I just read to you would have been something that the church in Laodicea would have been extremely familiar with. In fact, we're actually told in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, later on in this letter, Paul tells this church, he says, when you're done reading this, give it to the church in Laodicea. And so we know that this church would have had access to this. They would have known this is true about Jesus. And so when Jesus says this about himself, when he says that he is the amen and he is the ruler of God's creation, he is making a very powerful statement about himself. Okay, that's what he's saying. So, so Jesus is going to identify himself as the amen. He's going to identify himself as the ruler of all God's creation. And that brings us to the next thing. He's now going to talk about some nasty water. All right. So what's that mean? Well, look what he says here in verse 15. He says to this church, I know your deeds. And he says, I know you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, you're not hot or cold. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Whew. These are some interesting and strong words that Jesus uses here. And I want you to notice when he says this, when he says, neither cold nor hot, but you're lukewarm. 
it's very clear when you uh, study the cultural context of Laodicea that Jesus is actually using the water system of Laodicea as, a, as an illustration of their spiritual reality, kind of their spiritual condition. Um, I'll tell you one cool thing about Laodicea is even though this city had a lot going for it and it was wealthy and it was you know, on the cutting edge of fashion and all that, even though it had a lot of things going for it, it had one major downside. And its one major downside was its water source. Um, in fact, uh, in Laodicea, one of the things that we know about it is because of its location, it had no good water source of its own. There was no healthy place that they could pull water from. And so because of that, there was two places that they would have to go to get water. Now, one of those places was six miles north. It's a place called Hierapolis, all right? And what they were known for in Hierapolis is they had these hot springs, these incredible natural hot springs. In fact, I'll show you a picture. You can still visit these today. They are beautiful, beautiful. And uh, this, all this white stuff that you see on there, that's all mineral deposits. And so, um, and so these would have been like just these natural hot springs. And they actually were used back in this time. They were, they were considered very useful because they were used for medical treatments. And so because of the, the heat, you know, think about soaking in a hot tub, it was kind of like that. But it also had these mineral deposits that had a, some medicinal kind of uh, purposes to it. And so they would, they would go in these hot springs. And so if the people wanted to get water, they would either go six miles north and they would go to these hot springs, which by the way, here's another picture. I mean, that's just breathtaking. It'd be a really cool place to go visit sometime. So they would either go here or if they wanted to get cold water, they would go to Colossae. Colossae is 10, 10 miles east of where Laodicea would be. And it was known for its cold, refreshing, pure water that actually would have melted off of the snow tops and would have come down these streams and they would have went there. But the Laodiceans, they actually had no water source of their own. So to solve this problem, what they did was actually really ingenious. They built a six mile underground pipe system, an aqueduct, and they built it from Hierapolis to Laodicea. And they piped in the hot water six miles south to where they were in Laodicea. And they spent a ton of money doing this, tons of money. But here was the problem, was unfortunately, after they spent all that money and they spent all that time, uh, the water, when it finally arrived from, from Hierapolis to Laodicea, it was lukewarm, it had cooled down, and it had uh, all of these mineral deposits in it in such a way that it actually was reported to be nauseating. If you drank this, it would, actually, it would actually activate your gag reflux. And so after spending all this time and all this energy in it, it actually was something that was very, uh, very repulsive. This is actually archaeologists have dug and have uh, kind of discovered some of these pipes. So these were some of the stone pipes they would have used for this. And some of these pipes, they've actually seen that they are caked with this calcium carbonate mineral deposit. So here's another picture. You can see some of them are just totally clogged up because of this. All I have to say this, they spent unbelievable amounts of money on this. They spent unbelievable amounts of time on this and resources so they could get this water. And in the end, it was utterly pointless. And it was unable to heal the sick and it was unable to refresh the thirsty. And all it, all it was good for was making you throw up. And that was pretty much it. And I'm just saying, when Jesus says this about this church, that they're lukewarm, he's using this as an analogy to describe their spiritual condition. And what he says to this church is he says, listen, you guys are lukewarm. You're lukewarm. And, and, and here's what I think that that means. I think those are very strong words. And I think what Jesus is effectively saying to this church is this. He's saying, listen, you guys are pretty much useless. You, you aren't useful in healing and helping the sick. And you're not useful to bring refreshing water to those who are 
thirsting spiritually. And he says, the only thing that you are, he says, is that you're vomit-inducing. And notice what he says. He says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. By the way, translators here are, 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 take, are taking it easy. Uh, the original Greek language, it literally means to vomit you out. It means to throw you up. And these are some strong words. I just want you to think for a minute. Can you, can you imagine being the church in Laodicea? Can you imagine receiving this letter? And you're like, hey, everyone, g- gather around. We have a letter from Jesus. And everyone's like, Jesus wrote us. Let's hear the letter. And you're like, what does Jesus have to say? And you're like, Jesus wants to let us know that we make, we make him sick. And he, he wants to gag when he thinks about us. And I just think, man, wow. What, what would make Jesus Christ say this to this church? What about them made Jesus so sick? Well, that leads to this next thing that I want to talk about, and that is hubris soliloquies. Hubris soliloquies, right? I know when you woke up this morning and you thought about, you know, doing church, you probably thought to yourself, you know what I hope we talk about today at church? I hope we talk about hubris soliloquies. I know that's what I thought, right? No, but what is that? I actually want to show you something I think is kind of cool. If you look uh, at verse 17, I want you to notice what Jesus does. He says to this church, he says, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. Now, um, here's what's interesting. What Jesus is doing here is he's actually using something that scholars call hubris soliloquy. And what does that mean? So hubris means arrogant, means prideful, means self-focused. Soliloquy, of course, we know is like a conversation, basically a conversation with yourself. So what is, he, what is this? <laughs> this is a, a prideful monologue, right? In other words, this is an, this is, I like to think of it this way. This is an I'm awesome speech that's directed to yourself. That's, what this, that's kind of what this is. And here's what I thought was so fascinating as I was studying this passage is that um, you actually see this, 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 this idea of the hubris soliloquy show up in a lot of different places in the Bible. So in Isaiah 47, verse 8, you see a hubris soliloquy. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 2, you see it. In Revelation 18, 18, you see this same idea. You actually see it in a number of places. And listen, in every case that you see it, it is, it's never good. It's never good. It's almost always followed up with something that is very, um, that induces a lot of humility. Um, and effectively what it is, it's, it's an I'm awesome speech. That, that's kind of what, what it's talking about here. And uh, I, I just thought I'd give you one other example, one other example just for fun. Uh, in Daniel chapter 4, back in the Old Testament, you see a hubris soliloquy. And it comes from this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar was a very, very famous uh, uh, king of Babylon, very powerful guy. And he also was notoriously incredibly arrogant. He was the kind of guy who definitely thought he was too sexy for a shirt. And in, 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 uh, in Daniel chapter 4, Look look what it says. It says, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said to himself, now notice this, is not, I like this, he said to himself, so self, is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? And uh, and what what is this? Uh, This is a hubris soliloquy. This is him saying, look at how awesome I am. Look at everything I did. Look at how hard I've worked and look at everything that I've done. And so here's a question, all right? What was the I'm awesome song that the Laodiceans were singing to themselves? Well, Jesus says it right here. This is what they would say. I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. 
In other words, he says, this is, this is the way that the Laodiceans would talk to themselves. We don't need anything. We don't need, look, we have wealth, we have clothing, we have medicine, we have it all. We have it all, or so it seemed, right? We don't need anything. And listen, this city regularly patted itself on its back. They regularly would say, we have everything that we need to make it on our own. They, they were self-sufficient. We don't need Rome. We don't need the emperor. And they were proud of it. They basically said, look at all we've done. We don't, we don't need a thing. And let me just tell you, there's some, there's some danger to these words. And this is, this is essentially what made Jesus the most sick about this church. This is why he said, you guys nauseate me. I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus just said, he's the amen, that he is the ruler of creation, that he is the foundation, he's the source, he's the reason, he's the revelation, he's the pattern, he's the goal of creation. Everything, we just looked at Colossians 1, everything was made for him, is made by him, is made in him, is made through him. Colossians says that everything is held together because of him. And man, these Christians, these Christians were saying, yeah, we know that, but look, we don't need anything. We don't need anything. Meanwhile, every breath that they had been given was on loan to them from God. And by the way, every breath that we have been given has been on loan to us from God. And you guys, I think this is why Jesus is so nauseated by lukewarmness. I think that's it. I love the way C.S. Lewis said it. He said it this one, one time. He said, Jesus Christ produced mainly three effects. So when people interacted with Jesus, there was three effects. It was either hatred, terror, or adoration. But there was no trace of people expressing mild approval. I like that. He says, listen, when people interacted with Jesus, they either hated him, they were terrified of him, or they would bow down and worship him when they encountered him. He said, but one thing that you never see is that people just had like mild approval. Meh, yeah, like meh, he's cool. Mild approval. I think that's the condition that plagued the church in Laodicea. And the Laodiceans apparently had, apparently they had good theology. Apparently they knew like the right things to say about Jesus, right? They held their beliefs respectfully, but they did so without a dependency on Jesus. And so they said, yeah, we got it. We got it. We got it. We don't need, we don't need a thing. And listen, let me just say, I think the truth is um, that all of us, every single one of us have soliloquies running through our head all the time, right? All of us talk to ourselves a certain way. And I think it's important, you know, especially for those of us who follow Jesus, but everybody, I think it's important to pay close attention sometimes to the way that you talk to yourself, to pay attention to what kind of soliloquies are going through your mind during the day, right? Like, like think about this. Just think about it with me for a minute. When you're driving in the car, what, what's the, what, are you, what are you talking to yourself about? What's the narrative that you're speaking? When you're in the shower getting ready for the day, what is the, what is the soliloquy, right, that's kind of going through your mind? Maybe for you, it's something like this. Maybe you think to yourself, you know what? You know, I've worked hard. I've worked hard for the things I got. And, uh, you know, look, look at all I've done. I've, I've done a lot to, to, I've worked hard to accomplish the things that I've accomplished. I've earned, I deserve what I have. I'm strong, I'm smart, I'm clever. Maybe it's this, maybe it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty good. I mean, you know, comparatively to what I see out in the media and what I see, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a pretty good person. Uh, you know, I think, I think the problem with a lot of people is that they don't appreciate me enough. They don't appreciate me. I, I think I'm being overlooked. I think I'm being treated unfairly. And let me just say, what is that? What, what is that? I just want to tell you, that, that is a hubris soliloquy. 
It is an inordinate focus on self. And, and let me tell you that this hubris, this self-focus, it can actually manifest itself in more ways than one. Sometimes it can show up in an I'm awesome speech, right? Like, like I'm underappreciated. Everyone could, should just see how great I am. Sometimes it shows up that way. Sometimes it shows up as an I suck speech. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's like, I, I just can't get it right. And I know God says he loves me, but come on, I don't think he could ever actually forgive me. And I just can't, can't get my act together. And when am I ever going to get it right? And listen, here, here's the point. It can show up as blinding arrogance, or it can show up as suffocating self-deprecation. But either way, the common denominator is that it is focused on self. In both cases, these hubris soliloquies put an inordinate focus on self, and it omits the presence and the promises of God. And listen, it, it's a failure to recognize our deep dependency on Jesus as the ruler of God's creation and a deep recognition that he is the amen by which every promise that God said is made true, regardless of how we even might feel about ourselves. And so lukewarmness, lukewarmness, Jesus is going to say, is repulsive to me. It's repulsive. Given who Jesus is and given what Jesus Christ has done, Jesus deserves our greatest passion. He deserves our greatest, our greatest affections. And so because of this, Jesus is going to go on. He's going to say, you guys don't think you need anything. He says, but here's the real truth. He says, you don't, you don't realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. These would have been some painful words. Jesus says, you're poor. He says, listen, you might have pounds of gold in your banks, but you're bankrupt spiritually. He's talking about their spiritual condition. He says to them, he says, you're blind. He says, you're blind. He says, even though you have this expensive eye salve that people all over the world come to you for, he says, spiritually speaking, your condition is that you're blind. You cannot see past your own self-sufficiency to the reality that you need me because I'm the creator and sustainer of the universe. He says to this group of people, he says, you're naked, you're naked. And again, even though they were renowned for their fashion industry, he says, spiritually, he says, spiritually, you are stripped down and you are in need. And so Jesus says these things to these people. I think that the church in Laodicea, by the way, I think it reveals to us a huge spiritual disadvantage. That quite honestly, I believe that every single one of us share. This is our disadvantage too, and it's this. The toughest people to reach spiritually are those who are rich and those who live in safety. And by the way, that's every single one of us. Who, If we live in this country in this time, we are rich and we live in safety. And here's the truth. The more we have, the less inclined we are to see our true spiritual condition. The less inclined we are to see the need that actually is true and is real, spiritually speaking. Listen, it can be so easy sometimes to be blind to our own state of dependency on God. It can be easy, so easy for us sometimes to be blind to our need for God's provision in our lives. Right? especially when most of us aren't worried about what we're going to be eating if we're going to have enough food for the next week. Now, I don't think any of us are concerned about that. In fact, most of us are probably more concerned that we're going to eat too much this week. And because of that, sometimes it can blind us from our spiritual state of dependency on God. I think it's easy sometimes to be blind to our need for God's protection, right? And when we live in one of the safest places in the entire state, for many of us who are part of this church, we live in one of the safest places in the entire state of Ohio. And man, it's sometimes it's hard. It's hard to think that we need God to keep us safe. It's hard for us to recognize his provision and his protection in our lives. It's easy to be blind to our need for God's daily provision 
when we see a growing nest egg in our 401k or when we see our retirement funds growing. It's, it's too, I'm just saying it's too easy. It's too easy to say, I'm good. I got it. It's too easy for us to say, I don't need to pray about that because I've already got it covered. I don't need to come to Jesus for that because it's already, we're already set. And what Jesus says here is he says, there's a danger. There's a danger to this. There's a danger to being wealthy. There's a danger to being comfortable. It's so easy to grow lukewarm. And I'll tell you, uh, this is actually, not that, not that there's anything positive about a global pandemic. I'm not saying that. But I think this actually has been one of the positive outcomes of what we see in the midst of this pandemic is that in a lot of ways, it's actually shaken our foundations. I think in a lot of ways, it has shaken our sense of self-sufficiency. And for many of us, it's caused us to recognize our deep need for God, which by the way, we have always had anyway. And so it's helped us to see the reality of where we are spiritually. And so, and so here we see Jesus. He says, listen, I'm the amen. I'm the ruler of creation. And this church says, yeah, we got it. We don't need you. We have it on our own. And Jesus says, this is repulsive to me, repulsive to me. And yet, what does Jesus do with this wretched church that makes him feel like just, just absolutely um, revulsed in the midst of this? What does he do? I love this. Jesus moves towards them. He moves. And that's why I want to show you this last thing. Jesus is at the door. Look what he says. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And so Jesus here, you can see, he says, listen, he's speaking their language. He says, listen, I want you to buy from, I want to counsel you to buy from me. He's speaking the language of these, of these kind of, you know, kind of professional, commercialized, materialistic people. And he says, come buy from me, but, but that which you can't buy with money. And he uses it as a spiritual analogy. He says, you like to shop? He says, then come to me, come to me. And he uses parallel language, by the way, notice to say, I'll give you gold refined from the fire, white clothes to wear, salve to put on your eyes. All of these are spiritual metaphors where Jesus says, listen, he's basically saying this, come to me for these things. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your own resources. Don't rely on your own cleverness. Don't rely on your own wisdom. Don't rely on your own wealth. Don't place your trust in your economy. Don't rest your hope in whatever apparent national security you think you have. He says, come to me for those things. Come to me. And then he goes on and he says, to those whom I, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. I love that. What Jesus says is, I say this to you because I love you. I love you. So be earnest and repent. So how do we do that? Well, he says this last thing. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they will with me. So here you have some pretty famous words from Jesus, words that, uh, words that many of us maybe have heard before. And actually, these are words that have been immortalized by a really famous painting. Maybe you guys have seen it. It's by a guy named Holman Hunt, and uh, it depicts this picture of Jesus you know, knocking on the door. And they always point out, I think, a fascinating point that when he painted this, uh, he was perceptive enough to, to put the door handle not on the outside, but apparently it's on the inside of the door. And so I think, I think what's interesting about what Jesus says here, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Those words have oftentimes been used um, at evangelistic crusades as an opportunity for people who have never responded to Jesus to answer the door because he's standing at the door of their heart. And I think, by the way, I think that's a, an appropriate way to use that verse. But I want you to notice here that these words were not first and foremost spoken to the unbelieving person. These words were first spoken to his church, to those of us who do follow Jesus. 
These were spoken to believers who thought that they had it all together. It was spoken to a church where, listen, where Jesus Christ was on the outside. Jesus wasn't needed. Jesus was uninvited. Jesus was locked out. And basically what they said is, we don't, we don't need you. We don't want you. We don't want your word. We don't, want, we don't like the things that you say. Maybe it's offensive to us. And so we're just going to put you on the outside because we have everything that we need already. And I think this reveals a really scary truth, and that's this, that it's possible, it's possible for a person to live as a self-proclaimed Christian with Jesus on the outside. And it's possible for a church to lock Jesus out and say, you know what, we're good, we're good. And so I think when we look at this passage, what we discover is the root cause of lukewarmness. And here's what it's caused by. It's caused by excluding Jesus. And yet Jesus in his love and his mercy, he stands and he knocks and he waits for us to respond to him. So the solution to lukewarmness, I think, is not, it's not to jack up um, our warm emotions and to try to somehow make ourselves feel more emotional. I think the solution to lukewarmness is not to exert more self-sufficiency. That's the, that's, that was the problem in the first place. I think the solution is to open the door again. I want you to notice how he closes the letter. He says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The last of the seven messages to the churches is at one time both the hard, hardest hitting and at the very same time, it's the most inviting. On one hand, Jesus says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And on the other hand, he says, if you invite me in, we'll eat together and I'll sit with you and you'll sit with me and I'll take you to my father's house. So there's no greater threat and there's no greater promise. So as we close this message and close this series, I thought maybe I'd just end with maybe just three simple questions and then we'll pray. Here they are. I think here's the first one. For those who follow Jesus, I think, I think we have to ask ourselves. I think Jesus is inviting us to ask this question. Are you, are we, are we lukewarm? Are we lukewarm? Listen, let me just ask you this right now. Are you fired up about God right now? I mean, are you? And, and here, here's the thing. I think, I think that for many of us, maybe we'd say this. We might say, you know what? Um, yeah, I feel like I'm, maybe I'm lukewarm. Maybe I'm in that spot. And I understand that that's something that we can drift into. But let me tell you what I, what I really fear. Here's what I really fear. Maybe more than that. What I fear is that maybe there's some of you who are lukewarm and you want to be. And, and when I say, are you fired up about God? You don't actually want to be fired up about God. My, my fear is that maybe there's some of you who actually don't want anyone to challenge you to be fired up about Jesus because you're, you're fine. You're like, you know, I, I, think, I think where I am with Jesus and the Luke, it's, this is enough. And I just, listen, I want, you to, I want you to recognize, I want you to realize how big of a deal this is to the King of Kings. Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. That is, that is a, that is a, those are some strong words from Jesus Christ. So we need to ask that question. Here's the second one. Are you willing to pray this prayer? Are you willing to? Jesus, please do whatever it takes to ignite or reignite a fire in me. Are you willing to pray that prayer? Listen, whatever it takes. Jesus, whatever. Whatever it takes. I'm telling you, that's a scary prayer. But what I'm asking is, do you see the treasure? Do you see the treasure that Jesus is? That, man, I want more of you, Jesus, not less of you. I want more of you. And that leads to this third thing and the final thing is, 
Will you open the door? Listen, here's the thing I love about Jesus. I love this. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He's the amen and he's the power behind all creation. But he's not going to kick the door in. He's not. He's going to knock. And listen, you may have never turned the door handle. Maybe for you, you have never opened up to Jesus and you're investigating Christianity, but you sense and you know that he's real. And you know that you're spiritually bankrupt and you know that you're naked and you're blind, spiritually speaking, and you know that you need what Jesus offers. And so can I just encourage you today, open the door, open the door, just open your heart and invite him in. He wants to, he knocks, he loves you enough to come to you. Maybe for you, maybe you have opened the door. It was a long time ago, but for whatever reason, slowly but surely you've excluded him. And that's why everything right now feels so lukewarm. Can I encourage you? Maybe welcome him back in and he will come back in. He will because he loves us. Or maybe for you, maybe for you, you're only letting him into some rooms, but there's other doors in other rooms that you refuse to open up to him. Can I just tell you, I think that Jesus stands before every door of our life and he knocks and he's the amen and he's the ruler of the creation. And listen, the amen and the ruler of creation will never be satisfied until he has access to every room of your heart and every room of your life. And let me just tell you this, neither will you. You will never be satisfied until the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has all access to every room which you were created for. Only he can make the other rooms what they were designed to be. And so he's moving through the, through, through, through the house. He's knocking at every door. Will you open them? Will you let him into the office? Will you let him into your workplace? Will you let him into the bedroom? Will you let him into your sexuality? Will you surrender that to him? Will you let him into your finances? Will you let him into your marriage? Will you let him into your singleness? Will you let him into the closet spaces of your past? Will you let him in? And let me just tell you, there's only one remedy for nauseating lukewarmness, and it's to readmit the excluded Jesus. So Jesus says, look, I am standing at the door and I am knocking. Will you open? Maybe for you, you need to take some time. Process with that with God. And would you do that even right now? Why don't I pray for you and pray for us? And then why don't you even take some space just to talk to God on your own about these things that Jesus has said to this church? Well, Jesus, I do just want to say thank you for this letter that you've preserved, God. And, oh God, forgive us for the times that, that we look at the King of kings and Lord of lords, that we look at the amen, that we look at the ruler of all creation and say, yeah, we don't really need you. God, I can only imagine how offensive that must be. And uh, Lord, it's no, it's no wonder why lukewarmness is so, is so nauseating to you. But thank you that you love us so much and that you're so gracious to us that you offer once again, you offer once again for us to come in. You knock, you stand at the door and you knock. And if we answer, if we come to you, if we cry out to you, you'll always be there, Father. And so thank you for the deep love that you've expressed to us in Jesus I pray that uh, whoever's listening to this, maybe you're, maybe they sense that you're knocking right now, Jesus. I pray they'd open, pray they'd open and be willing to surrender to you and to give to you their very life. And we just want to pray these things and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.